0: As Christoph's already said, we are continuing this series where we're looking as followers of Jesus Christ into and trying to work out what the Bible is telling us as to how we live out our faith in the community around us and with the people that we, we know or will come to know who are in need. So that's what we're doing today. Now, can I encourage you to turn back to page 1190? And I should say, as a bit of a clarification, I think it's been the case quite often in this series that the passage that's read in the service, we, we don't always then work our way systematically through that passage. We will come to it at some point uh, in a few minutes, but it'd be useful to have it there in front of you, and also because we'll be flipping uh, a couple of times back and forth, so it's good to have the Bible open in front of you. Let me pray. Father, we do praise you for all your goodness to us. We thank you above all for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice that he laid aside his majesty, gave up everything for us. And so we pray that it's in uh, that spirit that we will enter these next few moments of thinking upon your word. Speak to us, Lord. Instruct us, guide us, change us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For a short time when I came back from Dublin. I worked in Dublin for about three years as a youth worker. Youth worker. And when I came back, uh, I actually took a, a job, and believe it or not, for a few months and worked in a call center. And I came to know all sorts of people in that call center, made some, some good friends, actually. And I got to know one guy. Um, he was younger than me, and we became fairly friendly. You were put into teams in the call c- center, excuse me, and you, uh, you kind of had to work together. And Paddy was was younger than me, and he was very different to me. Uh, We came from different backgrounds, different places altogether. But Paddy was one of those guys, and and we've all met them. I'm sure every every one of us here this morning knows one of these people who just doesn't know when to stop. He just doesn't know where the line is. He just didn't know when to, to keep his mouth closed. He didn't know when it wasn't appropriate to say certain things. He was just that person that you could always rely on to say the thing that everybody was maybe thinking, but they knew they shouldn't say. Paddy was the guy that didn't know when to stop. When do we stop? I think that's a question that we ask quite often in life about lots of things. We do ask, you know, when's the time to stop? Maybe um, with regards to uh, disciplining our kids, we think, well, where's the line? Where do, where do we stop? There are lots of areas in life where we ask that question, where or when do we stop? But I wonder, do we think that that is an appropriate question to ask when it comes to helping people who are in need? I wonder, do we think that? When do we stop? The passage that is kind of the the underlying passage for this whole series, the parable of the the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. Um, Let me just read a, a few verses from that. Verses 33 to 35. The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The Samaritan didn't look into this man's background. He didn't get out of form and say, can you just fill this disclaimer in or this application for me for the help that I'm about to give you? He simply went and he helped the man as soon as he saw him. But is this a complete picture of what our acts of service should look like? Are we to help anyone, no matter what their circumstances? Last week we saw that the Bible calls us to take our charity beyond our homes, beyond ourselves within the church and to go out into the world and to everyone. But does that mean that we're not meant to make any distinctions between the needy at all? And if we are, well, well, what are those distinctions? What basis, if any, are we to use to limit our mercy or to help us decide when it's time to stop? These are all really important questions to consider as we continue to think about what a biblical attitude and approach to helping people in need will look like. I wonder, do we ever make up our minds about who deserves uh, help based on the reason or the cause behind them needing help? I think I I probably have to put my hand up first and say that, yes, I've I've done that. Certainly in the past, if not recently, I think it's possible that maybe we do split the poor or the needy into two groups. On one hand, we maybe have the deserving poor, or what, what we might call the deserving poor. People whose poverty or need is entirely not their own fault, not their own responsibility, not a result of anything that they've done. And then on the other hand would be the undeserving poor, people whose need is due to their own sin or foolishness. The Bible actually does allow us, I think, to create categories like this. The Bible very clearly distinguishes between three causes of poverty. Now we don't have time to examine them in, in great detail, but I just want to mention them quickly. The Bible highlights three main causes of poverty. The first one is oppression or injustice. In the Old Testament, a word that's often translated to mean poor is the Hebrew word oni, which means literally the wrongfully dispossessed. The Bible gives loads of examples of unfair treatment or social conditions that, that really keep people poor this cause is out of that, that person's control. They are poor because of oppression. It's the first cause. Secondly, natural disaster or calamity. This is poverty that has been caused by circumstances. Again, probably, in fact, definitely beyond the person's control. Talking about crop failures, uh, criminal activity, activity, disabling injury, floods, storms, fires, that kind of thing. We see that in Genesis 47, Joseph, with his uh, famine relief program, helps people who are in this kind of poverty. the third cause then, the Bible makes clear, is personal sin. The Bible is very clear that a life of laziness or problems of self-discipline, among other sinful patterns of behavior, can bring about poverty and need. All you've got to do is skim through the book of Proverbs, and you'll come across plenty of verses telling you the same. So yeah, the Bible does tell us that broadly speaking, there are three categories or causes for poverty. But does the Bible also support our labeling some needy folk as deserving and others as undeserving? I think it's a reality that some people and indeed some churches think that we should only help the deserving poor. And by that, we mean People, or they mean people, who have had no control over their own conditions, who aren't in trouble because of their own sin. Others, on the other hand, believe that our help should be completely indiscriminate, that it should go to anyone and everyone. I mean, last week we saw that our help was to go to, the, to all needy people in the world. Everyone, therefore, is deserving of our mercy. I think these two views often clash within the church. And this is probably because both are emphasizing sound biblical principles. So what do we do with this question of who deserves our help? In many ways, Christoph has already examined in this series so far the scriptural basis for showing mercy or helping everyone who's in need. The Good Samaritan teaches us that we're to give help to our enemies. We've seen that Jesus preached and healed both inside and outside Israel. We even saw Jesus telling us that we're to do good to the wicked and the ungrateful and we're to give without expecting anything in return. But above all, we have seen that our mercy should imitate the saving mercy of God. God did not come to us in Jesus because we deserve it or even because we were willing to work for him. In fact, we were his enemies. Christoph prayed at the start of the service, uh, Romans 5, 8, because it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, so see, God acted for our good even when we ignored him and we lived in complete rebellion against him. So are we to act in some way differently to God when it comes to our own acts of mercy? No. Our ministry of deed, what we do with our hands, with our time, with our wallets, with our lives, should extend to all, no matter what their condition or cause of need, just as the ministry of the Word does and did for us. Because you see, it's actually quite hard to talk biblically about the deserving poor. Our help to those in need is called mercy. It's not a reward. How could somebody deserve mercy? Mercy, if it's deserved, well, is it really mercy? We must set out with the heart of our Father with a particular purpose in any act of mercy to spread the kingdom of God. And that means that we must seek to open hearts to God and bring rebellious wills under his lordship with our deeds, just as we do with our words. We've got to help people in need in the pattern of God helping us. So we do it without any conditions. However, despite all that we've just seen, there is a flip side to this. And it's in this that we're really come to the heart of our thinking this morning. Because you see, there are also very important scriptural bases for having conditions attached to our mercy. The Bible teaches that all people should work Exodus chapter 34, verse 21 says, Six days you shall labor. The book of Ecclesiastes states that we were built to work, and without it we can't be properly fulfilled. And it's in the passage that was read earlier that Paul makes his famous declaration If a man will not work, he shall not eat. It's verse ten of second Thess- Theth- excuse me, Thessalonians chapter three. Let me just read a couple of these, these verses. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. I think what would help here is seeing that Paul is using this term, will not, in a continuous tense. I'm pretending I know something more about Greek than I really do. But actually, this will not is a continuous will not. So he's saying that these folk who are in the habit of not working, who've developed an attitude of idleness when it comes to providing for themselves, well, basically they shouldn't eat. If you're not prepared to work for it, you shouldn't get it. But actually, this letter is addressed to the church here. And so Paul is talking to the church, and he's telling them that they have to let the lazy person amongst them experience the consequences of their own behavior. Don't keep giving food and support to people who will then have no incentive to find a living. It's pretty much what Paul is saying. And I think here we can see a very clear principle coming out of Scripture. Our acts of mercy, our helping the needy, our ministry of deed must not make it easier for a person to disobey God. What then do we do? How do we keep in hand both these sets of scriptural teaching? How can we give freely to all who need it, even the wicked and the ungrateful, yet still stand with Paul saying, he who does not work shall not eat? Well, again, I think we've got to look at what God does with us. When God's grace first comes to us, it comes without any conditions, totally apart from our deserving or our merit. His mercy is completely unconditional in that God calls us with the gospel before we show any interest or desire for Him while we were still His enemies. But while God's mercy comes without conditions, it actually doesn't proceed without conditions. Listen to Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God demands that we work with him as we aim to become more holy. Because God loves us, he simply cannot leave us in the condition in which he found us. He therefore demands that we work with him we have to give ourselves to him. We have to open our lives to him. We have to spend time in his word. We have to spend time with him. We have to seek to live in obedience of him. We have to open our whole lives to him. But that is all part of his mercy to us. And so then to ourselves, at first, We've got to be prepared to give help to anyone in need as we have the opportunity and the resources. We simply must not turn anyone away by putting them in some undeserving box, even if sin is a factor in their situation or their poverty. Folks, we must give as a witness to the free grace of Christ and as an effort to turn rebellious hearts to the Lord. But we simply cannot stop there. Our goal in helping those in need around us in our community can't simply be about providing on-the-spot relief or to stop their suffering. Our real and overarching purpose must be to restore the poor or needy person. We must carefully build up the individual until he or she is self-sufficient. And that means we must, in love, demand more and more cooperation. I think our helping anybody in a situation of need must have the purpose of seeing that person come to know the lordship of God in their life. We must help so that the people grow in righteousness. We must not help so as to support rebellion against God. This principle is drawn out in the Bible a lot. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 to 15. If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year you must let him go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you. See, when a slave's debt was erased in Israel, The master was required to send him out with the grain and the tools and the resources that were necessary for a new life. Psalm 41 and verse 1 talks about us considering or having regard for the poor. The idea being that there's a careful thought given, that there's a design proposed for the future rather than just to provide on-the-spot help. Folks, our acts of mercy must have as their goal the rehabilitation of the whole person. The Bible is quite clear that although we must be extremely patient, eventually help must be withdrawn if there's no sign of cooperation or if it's abused. I want you to imagine this scenario a man knocks on the door of the manse asking for money. It smells like he's been drinking for about three years. Christoph says, right, well, wh- where do you live? What's the money for? For food, the man says. He explains that he lives in a room in Pasadena Gardens, but that he can't find any work. Christoph says, well, I'm not going to give you the cash, but I'll, I'll take you out to get some food. The man's not too pleased, but he accepts the offer. So they go to St. Bells. And as they eat, Christoph explores the man's background and he shares the gospel with him. The man seems neither hostile nor interested. A week later, he comes back to the man's asking for money again. Christoph says, Eric, I will buy you food one more time. But if you you want us to continue to help you, you're going to have to let us into your life. The man asks what he means. Well, I mean that there may be habits and patterns in your life that are involved in why you can't get a job. If we as a church are to truly help you, then we need to look at your whole life. You may need help managing finances. You may have some personal problems. You told me you can't control your temper, remember? So you see, it would not be truly loving for us simply to give you the money unless you let us help you more extensively. The man sneers and says his life was his business. After that last meal, Eric doesn't return again. Although not fully, this imagined scenario illustrates the balance that we're driving at here. At the start, we must witness to the free love of Christ in our mercy. But at some point, we must call the whole person to Christ. It's very possible that as we adopt this balanced approach... It is the needy person themselves who might withdraw themselves from our help. But this is the balance we have to strive for. If we attach conditions immediately and we deny help because a person is wrapped up in sin, then we tip the balance one way. But if we give and give and give, never attaching conditions to further help, we tip the other way. So when do we stop? Where is this line? At what point do we begin to set conditions? Is it when we think, look, look at all I've done for that person and and that's the thanks that I get, nothing. So we stop because we think we're starting to be, to to look a bit silly in front of others because we've been foolish in giving help with nothing paid back. Or in selfishness, maybe we say, that family is just bleeding me dry. I quit. I quit. Is that when we stop? No. Tim Keller in his book, Ministries of Mercy, puts it like this. He says, in the final analysis, only mercy can limit mercy. We may cut off our aid only if it is unmerciful to continue it. It is unmerciful to bail out a person who needs to feel the full consequences of their own irresponsible behavior. So just in the way that Paul was instructing the church in Thessalonia, our help must never encourage or allow someone to continue disobeying God. The time may well come in any act of helping an individual or a group of people for us to say, look, we're not withdrawing our help. We're just changing it a bit. We will continue to pray for you and visit you. And the minute you're willing to work with us, The minute you're willing to open up your whole lives to us and begin to make the changes that we think you need to, then we will help you again the way we did before. This is help that is genuinely concerned for the whole person. And this is help that is rooted in love for that person. We must let mercy limit mercy. Amen. Let's pray together.